This is Panama Today, folks. This is Bill Wilbur. This is Gamboa. God is on his throne today and always and forevermore. Do you find it difficult to pray? Jesus told many parables dealing with prayer, but he told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's found in Luke 18, starting verse 9. Luke 18. I'll be back with you in just a moment and seek to preach on this and explain this for you. Jesus spoke this parable and said the two went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So as we pick up on this parable, talking about prayer, and the reason I've done this is because we have our prayer time tonight, and uh, I've included this insert on prayer, is that many people feel unworthy to pray. Now, let's read the parable, and then we're going to bring some conclusions to it. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and as I've mentioned before, where it's easy to say they were Jewish leaders. They were that, but they were the religious leaders. They were not only that, but they were people who meticulously read the scriptures, studied the scriptures, had their daily quiet time, if you will. They're the ones who were always there in Sunday school class, if not teaching it. They were the ones who people came to to say, what does this mean? And they would tell them what it meant. They were the people who led the temple, which was basically the temple and the Jewish leadership led the nation. Of course, now they're under Roman domination, but the Pharisees were extremely, extremely powerful people because people felt they could go to them to find out the answers of knowing God, see? So they, they, they really held the hearts of the people in the words that they spoke and in the lives that they led. And so they were very meticulous, not only what they, they read and what they did, Pub, uh, privately, but they did many things publicly. And they did these things, which he's going to mention just in, in a minute. But the Pharisee was just a very, very uh, important person. Now, the tax collector, as I've said two weeks ago in the message about um, Zacchaeus, was that they were considered a traitor. They were considered outcasts. They considered them no, no way could they go into the temple. No way could they ever approach God. No way would anybody want to have anything to do with them because they were traitors and they were uh, people who were stealing money from their own countrymen. Well, the Pharisees stood up and prayed. You like this thing? Stood up and prayed to God, right? No, it said he prayed about himself or to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, 
A teenager asked me the other day, I may be missing something, she said, but what's so wrong with this? Isn't it good that he wasn't a robber, an evildoer, an adulterer, or like a tax collector? Wouldn't that be good to not be like that? I mean, how many of you would want your kids off into this? You know what I'm saying? And so this girl said, I don't understand. What's the big deal here? I mean, what's so wrong with what this guy is doing? Because he's doing right things. And he goes on and he says, I fast twice a week. How many Christians do you know that fast twice a week? And I give a tenth of all I get. Many Christians don't tithe. And so you have... This, this, this person, if you had a teenager and you went to some other meeting and some friends, you'd say, oh, my teenager, man, they're not into this, they're not into this, they're not into this. And my teenager fasts twice a week. They say, your teenager fasts twice a week? Yeah. And what money my teenager makes, he gives 10% to the Lord. He goes, wow, what a heavy-duty kid. How many would think that would be a pretty good kid to have around the house, huh? But... So there's got to be a contrast. The but comes there because there's a contrast. There's got to be something wrong here. But the tax collector stood at a distance. See, the other guy went right up. And this guy stands at a distance. Pharisee wouldn't want him nearby anyways. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast, boom, 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 and said, God have mercy on me comma, a sinner. So what does he know about himself? That he's a sinner. I've shared with you before that those were some of the hardest words for me to say as I was receiving Christ and even in the days that followed to admit and say with my own lips, I am a sinner. That was hard to do, hard to say. And yet that's the access that we have to God is admitting our sin. The next verse, I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. What does justified mean? The easiest way to understand that word is just as if I'd never sinned. In other words, they went down from the place of of prayer, and this person was justified. He was in a right relationship with God. And the other dude, who had done all the right things, it said, for everyone, obviously didn't, for everyone who exalts himself, Ah, so that's the guy's problem, wasn't it? Exalting himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I want to center in on the aspect here of how that affects us as prayer, in, when we pray. And that is, there's, there's two approaches that people have to prayer. One is feeling they can just Come to God and say, hey, God, it's me. Hey, remember me? You know, I handed out 50 tracks this week, talked about you, wore the biggest T-shirt, got 18 bumper stickers on my car. I I tell you, in Florida, I saw this car. They weren't bought bumper stickers. This guy made them out of some kind of machine, you know, with uh, not actually fluorescent stuff, but it was black on like gold and silver tapes and so on. And he had this car that literally was covered with the Word of God. I mean, literally covered. You pull up behind, you know, it's like, where do I start reading? You know, I got a minute and a half before the light changes. How am I going to do this? So you start reading, reading, reading. 
The interesting thing was, all the verses had to do with the law of God. They all had to do with, you know, by the time you finished reading the back of this car, his windows, his roof, you know, the fenders and everything, you went, you, and he pulled away, it's kind of like, whew, God, glad that car. I saw the car two or three days. I guess he must have worked in that area. And uh, I thought, boy, man, I'm glad that guy pulled away. He's kind of an embarrassment to the kingdom of God because everything he had on there was a downer. I mean, it was Old Testament in the sense of the law, but there was no grace on the car. You know, there wasn't anything of the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the plans God has and the love and the purposes that are in the love of God for us. It was kind of like, you know, if, if you don't obey the law and this and that, and he's got the Ten Commandments written out, and, and it was really, really kind of a heavy deal. But there are people who think they can approach God simply because of their merits. Now we know, listen, we know we can't be saved by our merits, don't we? I mean, we've been over that. You all know that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not by works that we're saved. Nobody is saved by their works. All their good things that we're doing. But there's a fallacy that can take over after we've been a Christian a little bit that we start to get comfortable in doing our Christian things. Church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, trying to be the best person we can, living out what Jesus would have us to do, wearing our bracelet, WWJD, trying to do what Jesus would have us do. That's all good. But that does not earn the love of God and your access into his presence to pray. Are you following that? It's good to do that, but that is not your merit to approach God. I wrote down this little phrase here. Now I just got to find it. Um, yeah, relying on our, our religious merit will lead us into religious pride. Because then we begin to think of ourselves as approachable to God simply by what we've done. And in the process, we begin to compare ourselves to other people. Now, the other problem is, and I think there's more people with this problem, is that they feel totally unworthy to come to God. And I have many people ask me, I shouldn't say many, it happens periodically, I should say, hey, pastor, say a prayer for me. And you know what I'd like to say? Why don't you pray for yourself? You know, I, I'm not going to really do that. But it's because many times people say that to me as if they can't pray themselves. Now, the Bible tells us to pray for one another and encourage one another, right? We got that right. But when a person sometimes says that, they say it in a flippant way or in a light way, like, hey, you got an in with God that I don't have. And what I'd like to say to those people is, you have an in with God also. It's through the blood of Christ, and that's your access to God. I can pray, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian saved by the blood of Christ. It has nothing to do whether I'm a pastor that I can pray. You follow? It has nothing to do whether you've been a, a, a Christian for 10 years or 5 years or 5 minutes. You come to God in prayer, not on your own merits, but what on the love of God has done for you. And with that in mind, you can come with great confidence because none of us, have enough merits to warrant coming into the presence of God. Do you follow? 
And so it's, it's his unconditional love that makes him approachable. It's his unconditional love. No strings attached. I love you. I've shown it on the cross. It's been paid for. There was a man that came and talked to me the other day, deeply in distress. Nobody from this church. I'd never met him before. He'd heard something on the radio. He wanted to talk. And he asked me the question. He was really burdened down with some things. And uh, as I, he was wanting to pray for his family needs, I said to him, I said to him, um, I think the first thing we really need to talk about is yourself getting right with God. Don't you think this is a good time for you to get your life squared away with God? I don't usually speak that boldly to somebody I've never met before, but I guess, I don't know, the Spirit of God was there, and he just looked at me and says, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, I need to get right with God. And I said, when did Jesus die for your sins? And he says, you know, he died for me even before I was born. I thought, boy, this man has some spiritual insights in leading him on into forgiveness and to repentance and and, 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 uh, and into a relationship with the Lord was basically easy because he had an understanding. He just was not fully taking the steps. He had an understanding that his sins were paid for 2,000 years ago. And what he was doing now was walking into what was already provided for. The provision of God was there. He just needed to walk into it to receive it. And that is how you have access in prayer. You come boldly into the presence of God. You just come into his presence, not based on your merit, not based on your unworthiness, but based on his unconditional love for you. Jesus has given you the right to pray. One last thing. There is an error that we can make. And that error is this. That after reading this parable, we can look at it and say, Boy, am I glad I'm not like that Pharisee. Now, what have we done? We've done just what the Pharisee was doing with the tax collector. And so we can walk away and say, Boy, am I glad I'm not built up with pride like that. That I'm different and I can come into the presence of God. No, you missed it. You missed it. See? It's the approach of, Lord, you're the creator. I'm the creature. And my sins are forgiven only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. I know you're basically faithful in being here. I know that you basically want to follow the Lord. But let me ask you a question. Can you think of a time that you were closer to the Lord than you are this morning? Can you think of a time when you were closer to the Lord than you were this morning? I'm not just talking about goosebumps that you had at some meeting, but I'm talking about a relationship and a closeness that you had with the Lord. Because if there was a closer time that you had with the Lord than you have this morning, what's happened? We've fallen back. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm saying it in a way to help you evaluate where you are this morning. Because one of the things that causes us to step back, to fall back, even without knowing it, 
One of the reasons that churches have revival meetings. One reason we have to go to conferences periodically. One of the reasons is, is because our heart either grows cold, something gets in the way, we fall back just a little bit. And let me suggest to you, there may be other reasons, but let me suggest to you that one of the reasons may be this very reason that's in this parable. That after you left that conference, after you were in that close walk with the Lord, the subtle tactic of the enemy is to say, you're really doing well. You finally got it together, Wilbur. You've understood passages in the Bible you've never understood before. People are calling you, looking for help. Some new people in the church. You got some new books or some good articles in that Charisma magazine you're devouring. You're really doing well. And you listen to that stuff. And what do you start to do? Start to coast. You start to get to a place that when you go to God in prayer, it's more of a casual approach. Rather than the time and desperation for your family or your own sins or direction for your life, that you knelt at the altar or you knelt beside your bed or in your office by the chair and you cry out and say, Oh God, oh, I have no right to come into your presence today. I just, Lord, my life is so messed up. It's so self-centered. There's so much pride. I've neglected your word. I've neglected prayer. I've neglected you most of all, Lord. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from my sin. And you walk away from times like that refreshed. When Peter spoke to the crowd that assembled after the lame man was healed at the temple gate, these crowds wanted to know what was going on. And Jesus says, it's not in my power and my name, but it's in the name of Jesus these things are done. And he follows up by saying, repent from your sins and times of refreshing will come. Times of refreshing from repentance. Ah, repentance brings the time of refreshment because repentance is the confession and the, of our sin and the turning from our sin, which opens and re, the access to receive the love of God. See, the love of God is there all the time. The access to God has been provided through the blood of Jesus. But, you see, our spiritual pride is a sin. And confessing that sin, like any other sin, is an opening of the way into the presence of God. Little walks that I've taken at times, and I'm just saying, God, what's happening here? How come I was closer to you yesterday or last week than I am today? And just get the Holy Spirit start to work on you. Let him, take the time to let him go over this thing. Just worship him and praise him, and let him begin to speak and show you where those things are. He says, hey, Wilbur, you know that attitude you had toward that other person that walked in the church or that person that called to you on the phone? Or you know how your attitude, you just felt you just need to just buzz through your Bible reading today? You see, you're trusting in yourself, Bill. You're trusting in yourself. I still love you. My spirit's here still to empower me, but you're trusting in yourself. You know what that will result in, folks? For your own life, for my life, whoever's ever doing it, it results in spiritual burnout. It results in being spiritually tired, doing the right thing, saying the right things, 
and being tired while you're doing it. Knowing you're doing the right things, but tired when you're doing it. Knowing you're doing the right things, praying to God because you know the things you're doing are the right things, asking for the Lord's anointing, asking for the Lord's direction, but yet you're tired. And it comes by trusting in the things we've done, trusting in our methods, trusting in our education, trusting in our past successes. And you see, if you miss your quiet time for three days in a row, if you haven't prayed or read your Bible in three days, even though you might be doing the Lord's work, or you're not doing the Lord's work exactly, but you've missed for three days, how many of you have ever heard that little voice that says, you haven't really been reading your Bible lately, and you haven't prayed, I don't think you should go to church today. I mean, you're really not tracking with God today. Maybe you better not go. Anybody ever hear that besides me? Yeah. How about the little voice that says, hey, you haven't read your Bible or read your quiet time. I don't think you're ready to pray right now. I think you better do a little bit more Bible reading, a little more prayer before you try to approach God. See, we do need to read our Bible. We do need to pray. But that does not give us the merit to come into his presence. That does not give us some kind of credential that now we're okay to come to God. It's based totally on the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for your sins. And that's the only access you had in the beginning and it's the only access you will ever have into his presence. And it's based on his unmerited love. He accepts you just as you are without exception. Without restriction, you're his. He just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home. Last week, I'd mentioned the parable of the loving father, really. We call it the prodigal son. But you know, both of those sons were lost. One was lost who had taken off. And the other was lost because he was still in the house. But both of them were lost in their relationship with the father. One might have been here, one might have been out there, but they were both lost. Both of them were cut off from the Father. So distance isn't the issue. Carrying out little duties isn't the issue. It's the relationship with the Father that counts. And although this guy was at a distance messing up, and this guy was doing it all out of his spiritual pride, both of them were cut off from the Father. This guy did a U-turn and came back and got right with the Father. And I might just make this point super, super clear. That the father forgave the son when he left, not when he decided to come back. He was already forgiven. He just needed to return. The unmerited love of the father was there all the time. The son lived in that all the time. This son, second son. But he... But he but he didn't enjoy it. He didn't have that relationship with the Father because of his pride. This little piece of paper I've stuck in your bulletin, you can use it this morning as we're having communion, confessing of your sins. Take it with you today. Use it tonight as you come for our time of prayer. We'll start at 6. We'll be done by 8. You can stay as long as you want. But officially, we'll be closed at 8 o'clock. If you can't come till 7, you'll leave by 8, or you have to come at 6 and leave by 7, whatever. But... Come, we'll have a time of praise, worship, some instruction, a time of prayer, many things to pray for, but many things of just getting our hearts right with God. 
and seeking God's direction in our lives. How many of you are wondering what the future holds for you and your family? How many of you are wondering what it holds? Boy, I am. I don't have it all together. I know who does. And then I have some of my own questioning this morning. Today's the 7th of September, so I read Psalms 37. Multiples of 30. Psalm 37, verse 4. I knew that psalm. It's a very familiar psalm. But as I read Psalm 30, verse 4 again, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you have some things that you desire in your heart you'd like to do or see or experience or have in this world that you don't now? Okay? And you're wondering how you're going to get them, but yet you're saying, Lord, I want to do your will. I want you to lead me. And the key to that whole understanding of that is take delight in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. The Lord can actually change your desires so that as you do his will and he brings and answers prayer and bring things into your life, your desires have so changed that as he's meeting those desires, he's doing it according to his will because he's changed your heart in the midst of that. But the key is to take our delight in the Lord because our relationship with the Lord will never change. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away, said.